Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. This episode of Diaries of an F1 Boss is brought to you by Buckmore Park Karting, the home of the next Missed Apex Karting event on September the 21st. Join us by going to MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash karting. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpets. Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. How's it going today? I've had an exciting time, you know, because first of all, when you say joined by, Let's remember, you, I'm going to be joining you at Carding at Buckmore. Ah, yes. I keep forgetting to mention that you are actually going to be there at Buckmore. And at least three people have said, I'm only going if Trumpets is going. So don't let that get to your head. Uh, but yes, Matt Trumpets is going to be there. And that's pretty much our entire audience, right? Three people? Yes, not far off it. So you're going to be there. Kyle Power, Bradley Philpot, Alex Van Jean, Chris Stevens is going to be there, but he's going to concentrate on the commentary because he has the breaking strength of a Kit Kat and four races is a little too much for him. Uh, but Sarah Nichols is going to be there as well. So all your favourites from the Missed Apex podcast panel are going to be there at Buckmore Park. And then we're going to record a live race review the next day as well. So we're changing it up a little bit. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We are joined by former Lotus F1 CEO and Mr. Apex favourite friend of the show, Matthew Carter. Hello, Matthew. Hello, how are you? I'm doing very well. I mean, there might be some people who are new to Formula One who might not understand why we're talking to this gentleman called uh, Mr. Matthew Carter. However, you were a team principal. You were CEO of Lotus F1, running things from the pit wall. Yes, I was. Cool. For... uh... Two seasons, three uh, years. I took over, I actually took over in December 2013, but so the first season that I was uh, CEO was, or the first season that I ran the car was the first season of the hybrid engines, 2014. Very good. So it was in the hybrid era. But it was post-Kimmy. It was post-Kimmy, yes. So running then would be a very optimistic formulation of the engines? The Renault engine at the start of 2014 didn't run very often. Yes, that's true. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. You give us a unique insight 
into Formula One. And I know you were very much involved in the engine swap. You were responsible for moving uh, the, the, the outfit over to Mercedes engines as well and, and seeing that big gap between performance and going, no, I want that Mercedes engine. And Matt was talking about engine parity in Sunday's show. I wasn't paying full attention, but fortunately, uh, Edgevind Anderson was and asked on Twitter, Matt, you wished for more open regulations on power units on the British GP preview to attract more manufacturers and spice up the competition. I'd love to know what are Matthew Carter's views on such a scenario, both in terms of realism and if he will think it will bring something extra to F1. I'll just start, um, Trumpets, have I? Have we got your view across? Was that the kind of thing you were going at? Yeah, I, I was essentially discussing uh, setting a parameter for the engine rather than specifying the exact numbers of, of cylinders, the exact amount of displacement, and so on and so forth, which should theoretically make it possible for uh, Cosworth to bring a naturally aspirated V8 for Renault to go to their four-cylinder engine, which they'd much rather have built anyway at the start of 2014, and instead putting some numbers on the overall output so that you would have parity without having to have all the engines assembled exactly the same way. So people who've developed their hybrid system can use it, and people who don't want to develop one can bring their own engine to the party and be competitive. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an, in, it's, an, it's an interesting way that you put it. And, and in the way that you put it, I guess it could work. Uh, the, the big thing, there's a few things that are not quite right there. So Renault were desperate to be part of the hybrid um, era. They, in fact, they threatened, prior to me taking over at Lotus, they threatened to pull out of Formula One if it didn't go hybrid because um, they believed that they needed to be relevant to what they, the direction that they believed that road cars were going to go in. Right, but didn't they want to bring a four-cylinder, an I-4, instead of a V6? And Ferrari wanted the V8, so they settled on the 6 and On a V6. So again, those negotiations and discussions were prior to, to me coming in. But yes, that's, I, understand it. I understood it in exactly that way. Um, but the reasons that I don't think they... Well, I mean, there's a number of reasons. So when Renault re-bought Lotus, uh, I know that they signed a deal to say that... Uh, up until I think 2024, that the regulations would stay reasonably stable in that the investments that they put in to that stage were going were gonna to remain. Um, and then you've got the investment that all of the four engine manufacturers have put into producing those, those engines as they are at the moment. Um, and it's difficult. I heard, I heard the conversation on Sunday. It, it is really difficult because at the moment there are only 10 teams. And I think you made the point, I think it was you that made the point, um, that at the moment, if you bring another manufacturer in, then there's only going to be one or maybe two teams that are being sold engines. And then you get to a point where, and I appreciate that they're big manufacturers, these, these, these manufacturers, but they still need to make money. So if they sell, so rough round figures when I was there, and I don't think it's changed too much, an engine deal was about $20 million a year. Um, and if they are, if Mercedes are only selling to two teams, that's 40 million. Obviously, if they sell to four teams, then they, they double their income. So I appreciate they have to build the extra units, but it still makes it more viable. And that's one of the reasons that Renault were upset when, uh, when we chose to go to Mercedes instead of staying with Renault. So I think the more manufacturers that come in, the less teams, the less revenue they're going to make. There's less of the, um, the, the, the amount of time it takes for those manufacturers to catch up, like Honda have done. Um, and I appreciate they've just won their first race, but it's taken them a long time. And you could argue that it's almost damaged their brand as much as it's uh, as it's helping it. 
Okay, so let me pose a hypothetical question. Then. Let, let's suppose FIA says, um, here's your energy deployment, average energy deployment per lap. And we've heard an awful lot of talk about Porsche supposedly coming in. Um, would it? Would you have a huge kick and a fuss if you move to a system like that from the current manufacturers, assuming none of them were going to lose any of their current customers, but say Porsche brought in two teams to be their uh, customer team and a factory team, but then, that they didn't have sorry. to do the same, sorry, that they didn't have to do the same amount of spending because they would be using a variation of, say, their WEC engine that they developed and they could make it hit those parameters more easily without uh, developing the whole specific hybrid system. So, I mean, there's two ways of answering this, two ways of me talking about this. There's what I believe is the best of the sport and what I believe will actually happen. And they're, and they're quite markedly different. Um, I think for the best of the sport, it'd be great to have more teams on the grid. I think 12, 13, 14 teams on the grid would be amazing. Unfortunately, and again, I think this was discussed on Sunday, the way that the rules are drawn up, only the top 10 teams get the cut of the, of the TV revenues. So until that changes and getting that to change means that you have to get the teams that are currently involved to agree to, at least some of the teams that are currently involved, to agree to that change. And I don't see why they would do that. So they would be going from having a tenth of the TV revenues to having a 14th or a 12th or, or whatever it may be. Um, there's also the regulation that, that's written in that says that for the first two years that a new entry comes in, they don't get any of those of those revenues. So that was the position that Manor were in when I went to when I went to Manor. They'd served their two-year hiatus, um, and then they were planning everything. They were putting all their eggs in the basket of coming tenth and not eleventh, um, and that's unfortunately where they ended up coming, and that's why they that's why they they closed down and walked away. So the way the rules are written at the moment, it is very very difficult for an other new team to step into the to step into the paddock and equally it's very very difficult for a another new manu engine manufacturer to come in i mean you can't underestimate the amount of money that honda has spent to get to where they've got to and they were publicly bashed by mclaren and fernando alonso for the majority of that time and there's got to have been times when they were tearing their hair out as to why are we even bothered to do this and you saw the release of uh, emotions on the on the podium in Austria with the the guys from Honda in uh, floods, floods of tears. Disloyal F one in the chat says it's such a stupid rule. Thanks, Bernie. Can that be our version of thanks, Obama? Uh, thanks, Bernie. Is it all down to Bernie? <laughs> um, I, I mean, Bernie gets blamed for a lot of things, but the way that he the way that he set the rules and the way that the, the rules came about were all voted for by the teams and in the best interest of the teams. And he created and he, and he, and he made the teams and the sport what it is today, whether we, uh, whether we think that was right or wrong. And, and let's not forget that fundamentally his model for running the sport was entirely different to what we're seeing now. But because the teams have a voice in their own government governance, they have voted to keep things the way they were mostly because that's what they're used to. Uh, but Bernie would regularly bring in new teams um, just for churn and for spectacle. And if any of them did well enough to make it into the top 10, then they were better than one of the teams that was already there. And that team deserved to gradually go bankrupt and be replaced <laughs> by another new team. So it was a much more carnivorous version rather than more of a status quo one that we're seeing right now, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you've got to remember, and again, this was a long time before me, but when tobacco advertising was going on in Formula One, the money thing wasn't really an issue. You could have 12, 13, 14s. They didn't really care how the revenues were split because the tobacco companies were paying hundreds of millions of dollars to, to the teams that they were, they, they were, they were on advertising on. Um, so that was a whole different thing. So, so, so nowadays, yes, you have to justify the team as a business, if you like. Um, and it's, I was having an interesting conversation with the guys at Racing Point when they were here in Montreal. Um, and they were saying the same thing for, for them, for where they are and where they would like to get to. Um, they believe they're in a great position, especially when the cost cap comes in. Um, I'm not so sure because I think the cost cap as it's, uh, as it's going to come in, I don't think it's going to make a hell of a lot of difference to the midfield at all. Um, and I'm also oh, okay. not totally sure it's going to make a big difference to the top teams. You're, you're going to be breaking a lot of hearts there. I think a lot of people are putting a lot of hopes in a, the 2021 regulations that that will somehow magically fix this, you know, th- this problem we have with following and field spread, uh, that we'll get to a little bit later, but the cost camp. I think a lot of people are really hoping that this is going to be the magic bullet. And when I've been a bit of a naysayer and gone, well, the big teams are always going to find a way around it. People have said, well, the cost cap has got to work because Mercedes simply won't be able to employ 5,000 people now. Uh, Trumpets, do you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I don't. I think you're correct. This is this is my view. I think you're correct. They will find a way around it to an extent, but it's also worth not overlooking how much they will seek to rat each other out if they think there's <laughs> cheating going on, which is pretty much how the technical directives are currently policed. It's more the teams ratting out other teams than it is the scrutineers catching stuff. And even if we ex- even if we accept it is less than perfect, it's still going to induce a certain amount of friction into the process. And the real measure of its success won't be what the teams spend. The real measure of success, I would argue, would be is the spread between the midfield and the top teams significantly reduced so that we don't have Ferrari, Red Bull, um, and Mercedes lapping everybody else every single race, which is kind of where we are at certain tracks right now. Again, I, I mean, I, I really don't want to rain on anyone's parade, and I don't even think it's going to get down to them being rusted out because the figures that they're talking about all that have been agreed is 175 million cap, yeah? but exceed outside of that a driver salary. So what do we think that Mercedes is spending? Let's say Mercedes is spending 300 million at the moment. Well, Lewis Hamilton, it's quite publicly stated, is on 40 million a year. So 175 plus the 40 million. I actually pulled out some figures from my time at Lotus because travel is also pulled out of it, yeah? So when I was at Lotus back in 2014, we spent 10 million sterling on travel. They're also pulling out the senior management's wages, yeah? Now, I think that Mercedes probably spend more than I spent when I was at Lotus because I had people traveling in the economy. I was sending freight and we were doing things in a different way. We weren't sending as many parts out late. So let's assume that Mercedes spend double what I was spending at Lotus on travel. So that's 20 million. Lewis Hamilton's wage is 40 million. I don't know what Valtteri Bottas is. And let's say he's on five. So suddenly you're up to 40, 65 million. Um, what else is pulled? Oh, the senior executives wages. So Toto Wolff's on somewhere between five and 10 million himself. So I don't know how many executives they can pull out of it, but let's say they pull a few more of those out. All of a sudden, you start to get towards the 300 million that they're spending at the moment. So the small teams are nowhere near that. The small teams are, we were 120. I think talking to the guys at Racing Point, they're in and around, they're maybe a bit more than that now, maybe 130, 140, including everything. So you start taking out driver's wages and travel and stuff. They'll be down, they'll be less than 100. So 175 budget doesn't... I. It may clip the wings ever so slightly of Ferrari and Mercedes, but for people to 
And again, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but for people to really think it's going to make a huge difference in that first iteration, then I'm sorry, but they're barking up the wrong tree. When you say first iteration, do you think they might notice that it's not made a difference and then try to progress that? Or is this a kind of placating measure to go, well, we've got the cost cap now and they're still doing really well, so quit your whinging? Well, they keep talking about it. And I, and, and I think Joe Sayward talks about it a lot as well. They, they keep saying that this is, um, I, don't know, I can't remember the exact word to use, but it's a ramp. It's, it starts at 175 and we gradually begin to bring it down, which, which is great. But the 17, what my point is that the 175 that they've agreed on, if it was 175 hard and fast, then yes, the, mid, the midfield teams are still not going to be spending that much and the big teams would get clipped. But 175 takeout driver salaries, 175 takeout expenses, oh, that's something marketing is also. So marketing when I was at Lotus was about 7 million. And again, we didn't do a hell of a lot of marketing, a hell of a lot of promotion. A lot of that is what the sponsors pay for. So if Mercedes-Benz spend more than that as well. So you start to add in travel, driver salaries, senior manager salaries, marketing. So what happens if you have a Lance Stroll or a Perez? Does that get added to what you can spend? Or is that just the end of pay drivers? Uh, my understanding, no, no, because it's, it, yeah, it gets added to what you can spend. It won't be the end of, because you're affected, any pay driver, it's a completely different conversation, but any pay driver is basically like a sponsor. So it's as if you've signed a sponsor. So when right, we had yep. uh, Pastor Maldonado, we had PDVSA on the back of the car. That was, that was what they were paying for. Essentially, they, the contract with PDVSA was a sponsorship contract of written, and it was, you have to take this driver. It actually said, you have to take a driver that we appoint. Oh, really? So they could have put, they could have put any old person in there. Well, might have done better, actually, to be fair. Well, thinking about it, it's interesting because if it's a pay driver, that money could be spent inside or outside the cap by the team. So you, if you're bringing the money, okay, that's going to cover our administrative budget. It's going to cover our travel budget. Or I can spend it on, you know, CFD or whatever. Because, because income is income. The point of a pay driver is they bring money to the team. Yeah. Um, but... With regards to your point, uh, I see what you say in that the 175 with all the accessed items might very well be around or even slightly more than some of the top teams are currently spending. But once they agree for that number to be limited and once they agree for it to be 175, well, now if I'm Liberty, I have a very precise idea of what's going on. And if there is a ramp down they can't not agree to it now. In other words, we've 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 put it we've put you on record as agreeing to this idea. Now we're going to enforce it. Now we're going to ramp it down over a couple of years. So, could you see this being more successful long term as that one seven five number is being brought down? Yeah, I mean, kind of. But I, I just I I know how those strategy group meetings work. I know how the teams work. I know how their brains work. They rejected and rejected and rejected a cost cap. And then all of a sudden, Liberty announced, yeah, we've got a cost cap. We've agreed. But then when you actually look at the details, it's the, it's capping no one. So yes, if it gradually comes down and if they take out some of the, um, the caveats that are put in there, then yeah, it'll make a difference. Do I think that'll actually happen? No, I don't, because they need the teams to sign up for it. And the teams are playing a very good marketing and media game at the moment that they've agreed to this cost cap but what i'm saying is i pulled out some of the figures from lotus over the last couple of weeks just to have a little look and to see how much it would affect what's pulled out of the of the overall budget wait so you had to go into your shredder 
and you had to stick stick together all those financial documents. I actually have the, I have them here. I could read them to you if you really want. Let me see if I can find them. I'll do it. These are they're fairly confidential, so I'll do it in a uh, talk amongst yourselves for a second. Trumpets. Uh, it is uh, only right then. Well, Matthew Carter is looking up some information that we remind people that you can support us on patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We're having a bit more of an intimate live stream today, Matt, because we kind of we do buzz off the energy of the full live stream. But when we do W series or e radio show or the patron only podcast without the live stream, there is a different energy. It's a little bit more chilled and relaxed. And the the patron-only live streams give us a kind of halfway house. So I do like doing the odd patron-only live stream. It's not necessarily a shameless attempt to give people FOMO, fear of missing out. However, should that be the side effect you're feeling now, you can cure that by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Uh, let's see, have we filled enough for Mr. Carter to, to bring up that information? Absolutely. So 2014, I'll just, I'm going to do very round figures just so as to not, uh, not upset anyone. So 2014, our turnover at Lotus was 116 million. 116 of that, staff million. cost 116. You, you're not supposed to be writing it down. I said it was confident. I'm joking. Um, of that, staff costs were 30 million. So uh, we didn't necessarily have, I mean, we paid Roman, we didn't pay Pasta, as everyone knows, but uh, that's going to be much lower than the top teams, I would say. Uh, our car build, interestingly, was 18 million. Uh, travel and subsistence, subsistence, sorry, was 10 million. Uh, well, marketing costs. Wow. Our marketing costs was 12 million. So they they both get pulled out. So there was what, some what marketing. <laughs> yeah, but the the thing is because, and this is where they're going to get around things. When we talked about marketing costs, a lot of that is money that sponsors pay you. So let's say Microsoft were giving us 20 million a year. They would want to have X number of events, X number of um, shows, whatever. So therefore, that money has to go into marketing. So um, I'm not going to go into all the other bits and pieces in there. But basically, if you start to pull out some of those big headline figures and you pro rata it up from 190 million turnover to a 300 million turnover, staff costs, travel costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to get to a point where I worked out the other day that I think that Mercedes and Ferrari are still going to be easily able to spend well into the 200, late 200s or up towards 300. Yeah. So in other words, what you're saying is once you get rid of the items that are not covered by the cap, they're not necessarily even spending what the cap is going to be. Exactly. Well, let's go a bit in a bit more in depth into life as a Formula One boss, because I've had loads of questions flooding in from the chat room. Uh, Dan Q kicks us off uh, by saying, what are the pros and cons of the concept of principle on the pit wall? Because Benotto is on the pit wall with the earphones, but Wolf is in the garage rhythmically thumping the, the strategy desk. I believe that's a, his communication device. They've replaced his radio button with just a thump pad. Uh, where did you put yourself on race day? Uh, I used to sit on the pit wall. Is, um, is that just because it looked cooler? <laughs> no, I, I think it's just personal. I don't know. I, I kind of sat there because I think it's where uh, Eric had always sat in the years before. And we didn't necessarily have anywhere within our garage setup where, where I could stand or sit. Um, I think it's personal preference. I think most of them sit on the pit wall except Toto, don't they? Oh, do we call him Toto or has he got a new... How do we pronounce his name again? Oh, well, Kyle decided it was called Toto. Yeah. 
Tottenham. Right. It's not. It's not Tottenham. like Ricardo anyway. Ricciardo, where there's like some doubt, and some people say it differently. There is Italian Ricciardos, where it's Ricciardo and Ricciardo. Like no one has ever said the phrase. Oh, hey, hey, uh, Toto. We're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. It's not the band Toto. So yeah, Kyle's on a no, like a. I've never. I've never heard that before. Yeah, um, Kyle's on a three race. Yeah, I think. Out. I think Toto is the only one that sits that, that doesn't sit on the pit wall. Um, and maybe it's just. So I don't. I mean. I, I get a few little little things that you maybe don't know. So when the when the race starts, there's only two people are allowed to sit on the pit wall. Everyone has to watch the race start from within the garage for safety oh. reasons. I don't, still don't really understand why. But so when the grid clears, the mechanics, you'll see them. When you see an overhead shot, the mechanics all sprint back to the garage with all the stuff for the paraphernalia that they've used to start the cars when they go on their formation lap. Everyone runs back to the garage. And you have to watch the start of the race from within the garage. So there's two people allowed to sit on each pit wall. And then our pit wall at Lotus was eight seats. So the other six people were then allowed to cross the pit lane after the, after the cars had done a circuit. So you'll see like the likes of Christian Horner and, and Claire Williams and will be stood inside the garage to watch the very, very start of the race. And then they'll go across the pit wall. Um, one of the, benefits of being on the pit wall i guess is that you've got you'll see they've got a they've got the screens in front of them but then then they've got all the audio channels in front so if you want to listen and talk to different people you can press buttons and talk to them but i think toto's got all that back in the garage but we didn't have that um so in terms of I, the question was i don't, I don't know I, I can't see it makes a hell of a lot of difference most of what goes on on the pit wall and again this is probably known is is pretty much pre-decided anyway i mean there's they have so many meetings and strategy meetings that the strategist and the and the race engineer have, have have pretty much worked out if we have a puncher on lap one, then we go on the hard tire. If we have a puncher on lap fifteen, or you know, it's all pre worked out and pre ordained. So, were you ever hovering over the radio buttons? Because what we generally hear is, we you know, we hear the the race engineer, or maybe occasionally the strategist on the team radio, and then if things are going really bad, you hear like the voice of God of the team principal, like Gunter Steiner telling off Kevin Magnussen. Were you ever tempted to get on the radio and just say, like, Maldonado, look up, Pasta, look up, stop playing with the buttons, the track is ahead of you, not off to the side? Or, or did you like go, no, no, I'm never going on that radio? Uh, I, I very, very rarely went on the radio. I think we we pretty much had an agreement that the only people that would talk to the drivers were their individual race engineers, which I think is the same in most teams. If anyone ever did cut in, it used to be a guy called Alan Permain, who was the guy that, yeah. that famously said to Kimmy, um, whatever he said, and Kimmy said, calm down, I know what I'm doing. Uh, where should we move on to? Um, someone in the chat room earlier, apologies, I missed who it was, uh, said, did you have uh, Pastor Maldonado and Roman Grosjean as a driver pairing at the same time, that must have been terrifying. We're talking about yeah. the expenses here. How much of that expenses was just driver-induced crashes? Well, to be fair, Roman was pretty good. It was pretty, it was pretty safe pair. Of, I mean, there was a few issues I had with him, but um, yeah, no, they were they were genuine. They were okay. They were they weren't. I, I wouldn't. Pasta was what he was, but we. <laughs> the, it was more the car than the drivers. I think honestly. Um, we had bigger issues than the drivers, and I still maintain, as I've as I've said many many times, that in this current era, and it maybe is getting a little bit better now. The longer that the regulation, the engine regulations stay the same, but certainly 2014, 2015, so much was about the car that the the drivers were not irrelevant, but they were. Uh, you couldn't. I mean, I, I had used to have this question a lot when I used to do public appearances, and they yeah. would say, "How much is the car, and how much is the driver?" And at the time, I used to say to them, if you took Will Stevens from um, 
whatever he was driving at the time, and put him in a Mercedes, there's a chance that he would win a race. If you take Lewis Hamilton, you put him in a Caterham, there's zero chance he's going to win a race. And that kind of used to make people sit back and say, oh, well, because the drivers are all of a certain standard, but the cars are markedly different. Lewis Hamilton wouldn't win a race in a Williams issue, whatever anyone thinks, whatever anyone would like to dream. Whereas George Russell, if he was in a Mercedes, has got a chance that he would win a race. I'm not saying that he would win as many as Lewis Hamilton by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a chance that he would win. Sure. And I don't think many people are going to argue that it's it's uh, more driver than car, that the car is the bigger chunk of the pie. But me and Matt constantly argue about Lance Stroll. And I argued that Lance Stroll was really holding that Williams back because Sergei Sorokin was on the same kind of level as him. And I argued that what you had was a, a Q2, Q1 car that was, sorry, a Q2, Q3 car that was always being eliminated in Q1 because of the drivers. And Matt said, no, that's ridiculous. It's impossible. It wouldn't make a difference. Yet here we are this season at Racing Point uh, for Stroll, where you've got Perez occasionally getting out of Q1. And you've got Stroll, who, I I will remind Matt, has not got out of Q1 in 13 Grand Prix. It's not the Q2 I object to. It's the Q3. There was no way that Williams (laughs) was making Q3. I don't care if the ghost of Fangio was driving it. It was never going to get there. It was just not that developed a car. We had an interesting question in the chat about crashes, though, something that one presumes you had some experience with. Um, And they want to know if it's another team's fault. Oh, yeah. Is there insurance? Does the other team owe you money? Or is it just like, these are the risks we sign on and, and we pay for it? And the only time I've heard of insurance, just to throw it in, is when we saw like the drain cover come loose and smash a car. So only if it's like maybe the circuit's fault or not prepared properly is does the insurance thing get involved? Well, a hundred percent, the teams don't pay any money across to any other teams. It's it's your you you go out there and you race and it's and it's down to you. The circuit side of it, I'd never heard of that before either until that um, it was was it. Sochi. It was Sochi. Was it Sochi? Yeah. Uh, I'd never heard of that before. And um, I'm fair play to Gene Haas and Haas for doing what they did. But as far as I'm concerned, when I was there, it was it was down to you. You know, you, you, you pays your money, you take your chances. Uh, I, I think it happened maybe in Malaysia at one point. I don't remember which team it was, but it had happened before that something had oh, Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, as I say, it's, I'd, I'd never experienced that. I mean, and certainly in terms of the the cars, if you crash into someone, then, then that's it. So be it. If you don't mind me moving things on a little bit, we got a nice reaction on Twitter when I said that you were coming on. Mike Doyle said, where the heck has he been? He's not on nearly enough. That is exclusively my fault. I do apologise. And we even have a fancy new microphone for you as well, Mr. Carter. Uh, but we could not hook that up in time. But we want to get you back on because I think what we're going to try and do. Are you aware of a, a platform called Reddit? It's a, it's a bit like yes. Twitter. So I think we're going to try and hook up a Matthew Carter, ask him anything, and we're going to take questions from Redditors in a sort of quick-fire manner, if you're game, Mr. Carter. Yep, I'm up for that. No problem at all. Cool, and we'll use that as our excuse to get him on a bit more, and then Mike Doyle uh, will not hate us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Morticia's Keeper has a question, and I'm going to relate this to something current. He says, if Cyril, a beatable, had punched you instead of just threatening to punch you, what kind of guy are you? Would you have punched back or would you have sued? <laughs> Harking back to a hotel room story, um, I am going to have to press you for an answer on that, though, uh, before going on to the real question. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I should answer that, really. Um, I don't know. In the heat of the moment, who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. I, don't want to go I, think, that I think he's swinging for the stands. We'll answer for him. Uh, the reason I bring that up, though, is because Esteban Ocon looks to be a little bit in the wilderness. And everyone's kind of hoping hoping that it's going to be a Magnuson wilderness and not a Verline wilderness. Interesting to say that Toto has been quite public in saying that he had this handshake deal with with Cyril about Ocon going to Renault before Ricciardo got in there. So I was just wondering if you had any insight on that situation. And, you know, how much does a handshake deal mean? I mean, we've all seen Jerry Maguire. You know, really, you need to to show me the money. And, you know, my word is my bond means nothing in sport. I just wondered if you had any insight on that. Uh, Well, exactly that. We've talked about it, I'm sure. But I, I was aware of exactly the same thing. I'm absolutely convinced, or I know, for a fact that Esteban had a deal with Renault. Um, now, whether it was a handshake or slightly more than a handshake, I don't know whether there's letters of intent and things like that that go around in Formula One. Um, but he definitely was supposed to be there for this season. Um, and the Ricciardo deal came completely out of the blue. Um, handshake deals go on all the time. One of the reasons I'm here in Montreal is because I did a handshake deal with Bernie Eccleston, um, which never came through. Um I think, and and that happens also outside of Formula. That happens in business anyway. It's it's that's that's life. It's, it depends on uh, it depends on who you're dealing with and how much levels of trust you've got with that person. But uh, Esteban, 100% was supposed to go to Renault. 100% it wasn't in their uh, strategy that he wasn't going to be racing this year in Formula One. 100%. I heard that he will be racing next year. Whoa, 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 whoa. go on, go on. Whoa, more, more. Where? Sorry. You just said a hundred percent. I, um, yeah, I, I heard from sources that he will be driving at Mercedes next year. Ooh, okay. Well, that's a, well, that's a heck of a thing. I mean, that answers Mike Stoner's question is that do Mercedes have someone lined up to replace Lewis if he unexpectedly well, does not, not to replace Lewis? Yeah. I don't think it is going to be Lewis. Well, I'm, I am predispositioned to trust you on these things, Mr. Carter. You're you're rarely wrong. Trumpets.
Okay, so that's being the case. And I've been dying to ask you this question. We saw Wool saying, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll completely cut him loose to go pursue his Formula One dream at another team yeah. if that works out in his best interest. But Wolf also famously said, I don't know why I'm turning up and the news is running Formula One. Someone must have an agenda. So the obvious agenda here is to keep certain drivers happy until it's too late for them to be unhappy. But with these other stories, what do you see going on? Read the tea leaves of all these rumors. Vettel back to... Red Bull, Alonzo back in at Ferrari, Hulkenberg this. What's going on with these rumors? Who's trying to achieve what behind the scenes? Well, I mean, the rumors and who's trying to achieve is is anyone that's got any interest. So uh, Ocon's management, Ocon himself, um, sponsors, potential sponsors. I mean, that, that, the rumor mill in Formula One is, is crazy, as we all know. Um, in terms of in terms of going back to Ocon and, and drivers a little bit, there really aren't. I, th- I think the current crop of drivers are, are incredibly talented, and they're, and they're probably the best crop of drivers for for a good few years. Um, I don't see there being that many people in the wings that are going to step up. Um, Latifi, I was talking to the guys at Racing Point about Latifi, and they don't particularly rate him as highly as maybe some people do outside of the outside of the teams. Um, so I think there's only there's only a certain number of drivers. I think Ocon found himself in that position purely by circumstance, purely by Ricciardo. Again, I think being a little bit uh, not wanting to sit in Max Verstappen's shadow in terms of money, in terms of prominence in the team, and potentially in terms of speed on the track. So so he just reached out for whatever he could do, um, and um, and went to Renault. Renault, I think for them it made sense that for them to bring in what they believed to be a stellar driver time um for the for the way that their project was going so that upset the apple car i think ocon will be back in formula one next year i think he probably will be at mercedes with lewis um they've also got george russell on a fast track at mercedes because they really really believe that he's going to be the next the next big thing as well um now where they end up putting him i think depends on how williams uh, progress or or the, or the way that williams deal with the, the second half of the season there's a chance that they may end up putting him in uh, a racing point seat um, because you have to remember how much sway Mercedes yeah. as an engine manufacturer have over the teams that they supply the engines to. Now, you may sit there and say, well, Lawrence Stroll isn't, not, he's obviously not desperate for money, he doesn't need the money, but it's a big chunk of cash. If they say, look, we're going to give you a 10 million euro discount on your engine if you put this driver in. And the driver happens to be a very, very good driver, then you know there's a there's a chance that you'll do it. Okay, so I'm just going to catch my breath for a second there, and I'm just going to remind people what we just heard because a few people will be clearing their ears out. Uh, you are our trusted source, a guy very much still uh, involved and and in and around the Formula One paddock. You're telling us that in your mind you are pretty sure that Ocon is going to be racing alongside Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes next year. Do you want to caveat? That? And can I? Can I? Ju- no, not at all. And can I? And again, just for the to recap for your listeners, uh, Ocon came into Formula One due to uh, the Gravity um, race program, which was Genie, which was Lotus, which was how he started in uh, karting, and they funded him and they paid for him to get to where he got to. So uh, his manager, his uh, who now works at Mercedes. Uh, I'm fairly close to, and um, 
And Esteban, I promoted into a position of fourth driver at Lotus when uh, he really was was fairly unknown. But we we looked at what he was doing in the simulator, and and we we believed that he was he was going to be the next big thing. Um, and Mercedes took him from us around the same time as we had a Mercedes engine. So you can put all the figures together there and come up with what you want. Okay. Well, look for the certainly for the sake of this chat. Let's take that as a given that there's two questions that come to mind. Firstly, exactly how good is Esteban Ocon? Because he was kept honest by Perez. Granted, Ocon was much newer to the sport then. He's had a year out as well, so he'll need a little bit of time to come to come back up to speed. But he's going to be up against, you know, one of the best drivers of his generation in Lewis Hamilton. The comparisons will be there fairly or unfairly immediately. Mm-hmm. How good do you think he is? Uh Everyone that I've spoken to that knows drivers much better than me said that he will be a world champion without a shadow of a doubt. And there's, they, they don't even take a breath. And that includes Toto. That includes, um, again, I don't know if I too much out of That includes his management. That includes the people that watched him when he was go-karts. And that includes the people yeah. that watched him against Max Verstappen in that Formula 3 season. It includes all those people. They genuinely believe that he will be a world champion. Now, to be a world champion doesn't just take talent. Uh, talent, as we all know, you need to be in the right car at the right time. He managed to get himself signed with Mercedes Benz quite early on. He and Toto have a great relationship. So, again, I believe that that's going to enable him to get himself into a position where he can at least challenge for a title. Now, do I think he'll beat Lewis Hamilton if they were racing this season? No. Next season, maybe not. In the future, I don't know. I mean, he's he is that good. I believe. But I also think that George Russell is as well. And again, the same people have said the same things about him. Now, the audio listeners will will just miss out a little bit of information. The visual cues that Matthew Carter sometimes gives out. It's not always what he says. It's when he pauses. That's what gets me. And I'm torn, Matthew, because I love how relaxed you are and we chat offline as well. And I'm torn between constantly reminding you that people will listen to this, you know, in their tens. Uh, they will listen to this uh, and uh, and wanting you to tell us tell us stuff. But um, does this mean that Valtteri Bottas was always doomed? Has he been used as something as a filler, something of a pawn? Did he ever have a shot? If Bottas 2.0 and 3.0 was real, could he have wrestled that seat away from Ocon? No, I no. think if the if the uh, if the timeline had been slightly different. If Ricciardo and Renault had happened a few months earlier, then uh, it would be Ocon and Hamilton racing the Mercedes now. I think they announced Bottas and then the timeline just caught them caught them slightly unawares. Well, unless Mercedes has been not tricking his car out. Well, he's had how many seasons now? Bottas. Yeah. I mean, he's had a chance in the Mercedes. If he'd won yeah. a world championship, presumably the uh, it might look different. So I think he's had a chance. Oh, I agree. And, and, and I hear everything that, that people talk online and, and about how he's a great um, wingman and he's doing the best for Mercedes-Benz and, and that they are, um, they're winning everything. But I just think that they believe that Ocon is, uh, is something special. And, and what makes you think that Russell is something special as well? Because I, I have a little bit of sympathy for the Polish fans at the moment because I think it's, it's perfectly conceivable that in a, in another timeline Kubica is there up against Sorokin and he's actually looking fine and he's earning himself a second season is he actually is Robert Kubica actually just up against one of the future superstars of the sport 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, I don't think Robert Kubitz is doing anything wrong. I, th- I think that he's... Bear in mind that, that um, when we were talking about drivers earlier on, one of the things that happened at Williams last year was the fact that they had two young drivers. And the and the the problem with having two very young drivers and very inexperienced drivers is the way you develop the car. As much as the fact that they're they're not going that quickly, or that they're, they're you know they're they're inexperienced, um, they're not going to be able to develop that car because they can't trust the feedback that's coming from the driver. It's one of the good things that Roman used to do with us at Lotus was we knew that he was very very consistent. So therefore, you can develop a car in one direction or another. If you've got drivers that are inconsistent, then you can be all over the place. Um, so I think that the, the the car development has been has been lacking somewhat at Williams. Um, I think that Kubitz is doing a good job, but I also believe that Kubitz's car and Russell's car are very very different when it comes to race trim because the team are trying desperately to go in a direction that's going to make them jump forward. So therefore, they could be saying, "Okay, you've got that type of wing on, and George, you've got that type of wing on, or whatever." So. Um, it's very, very rare. Again, I had dinner with Julian Palmer when he was when he was here in Montreal, and he was explaining again to me how different his car was from Hulkenberg's car in the towards the end of his time at Renault, and how you know everything was going on Hulkenberg's car, and how it was you know we often say that you can only compare a driver against his teammate, but quite often there's 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 quite big differences between the, the cars that they're going out in, and I think that's happening at Red Bull at the moment. To be so that, that explains all of Paston Maldonado's incidents and crashes. You were just simply loading up Grosjean with the best parts. Well, I mean, I know you say that slightly flippantly, but just perfectly honestly, we didn't have a hell of a lot of money. So if we only had one new front wing, or we had two front wings, but we wanted to test one on a Friday, we wouldn't put it on Paston's car. We would put it onto Roman's car so that we would so that we could get some feedback from it. Um, and pastor and his father who was very uh, vocal uh realized that and they used to ask us and they used to demand that we put certain parts onto his car and that, that, and that we divided it 50 50 so you end up going down this whole route of uh, secrecy and only telling certain people what certain parts are doing because you can't really tell when you look at a front wing or a rear wing or a floor or whatever nobody can tell whether it's the, the new iteration or the previous well that's not true the engineers, the designers, the aerodynamicists can obviously tell, but the, the layman and the driver can't tell. And Matthew Summers as well. Some of Summers F1. We'll, we'll give him the credit for being able to tell that. I want to yeah. come back to back to Williams. So let's put a pin in Williams just for a second. Uh, but I think it's Michael Dusseldorf is picking up on your Gasly comment because we think Gasly's probably going to see out 2019 now, but but doubt. I think everyone doubts it will go any further. Uh, how how much do you think is that down to it being a different car? I said after Austria, I said it just can't be. It just can't be that gap down to skill. It's too big. And at the moment, Trump is. I mean, Trump is. He's being humiliated at the moment, Gasly. And it's, I'm not saying he's at the Stappen level at all, but it's a little unfair. He's getting a real pounding. Yeah, I think it's come out since Austria that he was not running the same front wing as Verstappen. Verstappen had the new front wing, which according to everyone's favorite German source, Automotor Unsport, uh, had solved the dirty air problem that they were having for they were having a problem with dirty air further down the car that was making the rear of the car not work properly. And they had brought a modification to Austria and they put it on Max's car and they think that's done the trick. Gasly did not have that at Austria. So that I know for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think Gasly, uh, 
he's obviously not doing a particularly good job, but then you, you but you've got that pressure that builds and builds and builds and builds. I also am under the impression that if we take Austria as a as an outlier for a minute, there was an element of him helping Max to get to Leclerc. Um, now I do I think he did it very very subtly, but I believe that he was told that Leclerc was 25 seconds behind and Max was only five seconds behind him with 10 laps to go or whatever. And um, I don't think you can underestimate the part that he played in Verstappen catching so quickly because I was watching that race and all of a sudden I was thinking, well, it's a shame because Verstappen's just going to be end up, he's going to end up being two, three seconds behind by the final lap and he caught him with what, four laps to go. So I think there was an element of that. So I don't think it's quite fair to say, yeah, he got laps. Uh, no, he's not driving the same car. In terms of him seeing out this season, I think he will see out this season. And one of the main reasons is I don't think they've got anyone else that they're going to bring in to to, to replace him. Um, they brought the guy over from NASCAR. NASCAR, what's his name? Patio Ward? Patricia Ward? Yeah. IndyCar. Um, yeah, obviously not NASCAR, yeah. Um, well, they, they brought him over and he, I didn't see, but apparently he didn't do a particularly good job in, uh, in F, was it F3 or F2 that they brought him over to racing? Um, so I don't think they've necessarily got anyone that they can promote. I really don't think they're going to bring uh, Kvyat back um, for a third time. Yeah, the issue I think was Tickton was supposed to be that person, but he didn't wind up getting the super license points when he raced in the winter series. And I, they've apparently not been happy with him. And Award, I think, did an okay job for his for a race in a series with brand new tires yeah. that he's yeah. never been in before. He was, you know, around Calderon's level. Uh, but apparently his Indy Lights Championship, which was supposed to bring super license points with it, may not have Didn't, because yeah. there weren't enough okay. cars in the championship. So there may be some points issues with getting him in the door yeah. uh, wherever they want him. And Tictum, I think I've, I've heard that it's not just his necessary is on the track. Um activities that are causing problems there um so so the so so ultimately I, i'm not sure they've got anyone that they can they can take uh, pierre out um and i think it'd be a little unfair as well because bringing these young kids and putting them into a, a front-running team is one thing and and leclerc is doing well um reasonably well i mean he, he's had a few issues in the in those first few races but bringing them in and, and the red bull isn't that car you know verstappen is driving the wheels off that thing to get to where he's getting it to so um, the comparison's a little unfair, I feel. Hulkenberg is out of contract. Would Red Bull really do something like that? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, do, I, do, I just don't think it fits with the, 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 the way that they like to go racing. I don't think they would take someone of that age and that, um, that experience. Well, uh, I do want to go back to Williams, and I think the question we ask you every time we come on, rightly, because I don't think you're telling us the truth, is when Williams go bust, are you forming an investment group to go and take it over and return to the pit wall? So a quick yes or no on that? No. Oh, come on. You you paused for way Williams, too long. Williams isn't going to go bust. <laughs> Williams isn't going to go bust. But they are clearly struggling and a lot of people are convinced that that is down to a financial element as well as just a sporting and engineering element. There's rumours being maliciously started on, on Twitter by just some terrible people uh, that, that Williams are going to abandon Formula One and concentrate on Formula E. Do you know much about their situation at the moment? Williams will never abandon Formula One. And um, they 
they're just in a tricky position. They're in a, um, my honest belief is that they were in a terrible position in 2012, 2013, horrible position. Um, they got a false dawn in 2014, 15, because mm. they ended up signing a Mercedes Benz engine. Um, they got that Mercedes Benz engine and they only took it because it was cheaper than the other engines when they signed their deal. Um, and the annoying thing is that I saw that contract and the guys that ran Lotus chose a Renault engine over a Mercedes engine, even though the Mercedes engine was a quarter of the price at the time because Renault had the history in Formula One. So, um, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, me and Matt are making the same expression. Let me just unpack that a little bit. So it was Lotus Mercedes before it got. No, 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 by no, Renault? no, it was always, always Renault. Okay. So, so Lotus, so it was obviously the Renault works team. The guys who I worked for bought it after the Singapore, uh, 2009 shenanigans, yeah. um, because Renault believed that their brand was being damaged and they didn't want to have it all over the car. So they then rebranded it as Lotus. They continued to run with a Renault engine. 2013, 2010, 12, 11, 13 in the V8 era, uh, the Renault engine was incredible. Red Bull were winning everything in front of them. Lotus were doing pretty well with that engine. Kimi won a few races. Roman got lots of podiums. So the Renault engine in that era was arguably the best engine to have. Well, you could say it was definitely. So when did Red Bull win all their titles? It was 2013, 12, 11, and 10. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that combined with traction control made them unstoppable. So, yeah. Okay, so so the Renault engine was the best engine. So bear in mind, the engine deals for the hybrid era would have been done in maybe 2011. I don't know when the, oh, when the regulations came in, right. but there was certainly a good two years or three years that they gave the engine manufacturers to develop the hybrid yeah, there was a delay of a year in 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 applying those regulations. So, so it was a good. So I think, it, yeah. So it would have been a good two years, I think. So you can maybe go back to 2012. So 2012 was when the contracts were due to be signed for the new hybrid era engines. So you're sitting at your desk as the person before me, CEO of Lotus, looking at Renault, who are winning everything. You've currently got Kimi winning races with a Renault engine. And you've got a contract here for the Renault hybrid era engine at 20 million euros. Over here, you've got a contract from Mercedes. And Mercedes is saying, we're going to produce a hybrid engine. And you're thinking, well, okay. So 20 million over here for Renault, 5 million here for Mercedes. And I've seen the contract. So they decided they were going to go with Renault. So they signed the contract. They went with Renault. Williams, and for... I mean, I don't know. I never worked at Williams, but I am assuming that for financial reasons, they thought, well, we're going to go with the Mercedes. Well, well you know, what's, what's to lose? It's five million. Um, and then, obviously, as we get towards the end of the VA era, Lewis Hamilton moves to Mercedes. We all understand that the reason he's moved is because he's been told that they're putting all this uh, money and effort into it. They ditched all the development of the VA. They were putting everything into the new hybrid engine. And then come 2014, obviously, they fly out of the blocks um, with the best engine by a country mile in the sport. Um, and I believe, back to my point about Williams, I believe that that gave Williams false dawns, maybe not the right way to word it, but it gave them a belief that all of a sudden they were doing things right. And my opinion, as I've stated many times, 2014, 2015, engine was everything. I mean, we put, we put that Mercedes engine into a Lotus that hadn't been developed in Roman's, Roman's hands at Spa, and he came in and he got on the podium. 
Now, when has someone outside of the top teams ended up getting on a podium out of pure pace? There was no, there wasn't tons of retirements. Uh, Vettel's tyre went, but he was behind at the time and he was chasing Roman. But there was, you know, it's not happened many times because it was all about the engine. So Williams, call it a false dawn, call, call it whatever you like, but they suddenly believed that they'd solved all their problems. And I think there was a lot of, for want of a better word, a lot of fat in that Williams organization. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of things that a lot of cracks that were papered over, should we say, um, by that Mercedes engine. And now, as engines are starting to come together, as the parity, uh, you know, as, as as all the engines are getting closer and closer together, they're being found out that maybe their aero wasn't right, maybe they went off down a wrong direction. And as we know from McLaren, it takes a long time to get that direction back on track. It does, and and but out of fairness, did they not beat McLaren with the same engine? Did they not beat Force India with the same engine in 2014? Well, so- Force India, that's not really a fair fight. Um, Williams against Force India back then. I appreciate now it's a, it's, a, it's a different it's a different scenario, but back then, um, yes, they did. They didn't, but I don't think they beat McLaren because the year that they came third, McLaren had already gone to Honda, I think, hadn't they? Yeah, of course, because that was when I because I took the McLaren engine in 2015. So McLaren only had the Mercedes engine for one year. And then Ron, as, as he told me, decided that there was no way Mercedes were going to allow a customer team to win um, a championship. Which brings us on to engine parity, which I want to talk to you about, about, about um, McLaren and Renault. Yeah, please do. I think uh, I'll, I'll pass you over to Mr. Trumpets for that. Uh, please go ahead. By all means, we are listening. Well, it's just if you want to like, set your... Um, podcast uh material to record i'm going to state now that i think that Renault will beat mclaren in the championship because they're going to start tweaking their engines they're going to start playing with their engines because if mclaren beat Renault in this championship it will be a disaster for Renault, and i don't think Renault can let it happen and therefore they won't let it happen a bit like they did with toro rosso was it last year or the year before they're going to do a similar thing that's my prediction now, all of a sudden, upgrades will start coming to the Renault or failures will start happening at McLaren, but something's going to happen for sure. Last season, there was uh, tensions between Toro Rosso and, and Renault, and it sort of passed a little bit under the radar, Trumpets, but... Uh, no, it didn't pass under the radar. It was a big... By the time we got to Mexico, and I believe it was two seasons ago, because they ran Honda the last season. By the time I got to Mexico... Of course, you're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Toro Rosso was screaming at the top of their lungs about the Renault engines they were receiving. And now you, you could tell us again, isn't technically, aren't these engines from Veery supposed to be randomly assigned to the teams and the customer teams in the interest of parity? I don't know about that. I don't know. I honestly don't know about that. All I know is that at Mercedes, the Mercedes contract that we had said that we would have parity with the works team, but we would be one race behind them. And it was written in our contract. So it, they, used, they said that if they came up with a new update, that they would put it onto the Silver Arrows team first to prove it. And then it would fall to the customer teams one event prior to that. Uh, one event after that, sorry. Um, but, with the, but honestly, there's almost zero way of checking that. There's almost zero way of, of really policing and checking that. Um, I don't know where you've heard that about the, the random assignment of the engines. I've, I've never heard that before. I, they were specifically, they were our engines, and we knew they were our engines that were coming from Mercedes. They come from, I, 
I mean, the, the we used to send the car. The chassis used to go from Enstone to the race, and the engine would come from Stuttgart to the race. Oh, sorry, from Brixworth to the race. Um, and they'd get married up at the at the circuit, and then at the end of the Sunday, then the car would go in one direction, and the engine would go in another direction. So we never got to really play with the engine, see the engine, or do anything. It's Mercedes Benz engineers that put it into the car. Um, they were wearing Lotus liveried uh, clothes, but they were Mercedes employees. Oh. Um, and that's what happens up and down the pit lane. Okay. So, I mean, I might be misremembering that. Um, and obviously, it would have been after Renault re-entered as a manufacturer. So, you wouldn't have been dealing with Renault because no. they wouldn't have had this issue at the time. Yeah. But yeah. let's just assume that they have a similar setup. They get they get the updates first, and then it follows on one race. As, as someone who's been in the sport and probably heard a story or 17, what are some of the other things that... that an uh, engine manufacturer might do to sort of put their thumb on the scale a little bit to ensure that the uh, manufacturer team comes out ahead with regards to these engines. Well, again, I, I, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, they, um, I, I know we created a bit of a controversy about engine modes, <laughs> but they do, you know, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm going to be a hundred percent clear because I know I'm going to get slated in the comments below. The engine modes may be all there and we may have all the same engine modes, but, the engines are run by, so let's just take Lotus Mercedes for the time being. So when I was at Lotus, Mercedes engine, it was run by Mercedes. So it's Mercedes technicians sitting at the back of the garage. It's Mercedes guys that have put the engines into the car. It's Mercedes Benz that are telling us what mode we can go into. So when they were telling Max Verstappen to go to whatever they said, setting 11, or they said something crazy, didn't they? Yep. When they said that, that's not Red Bull saying that. So, so maybe Christian Horner is shouting and saying to the guys at Honda, we need everything we've got. But the guys at Honda could be saying, well, hang on a minute, the temperature's a little bit high or you know, we can't do this, we can't do that, we've got an issue with fuel, um, so let's just do... But they could say, okay, yeah, we're going to give you everything. You know, We're going to give you... It's your home race. We really want to win, so we turn everything up to 11. Now, would Honda say the same thing to Toro Rosso if they were fighting for 13th and 14th? Of course not, because they want to protect their engines. So maybe all the same modes are there, but you can only use those modes when you're told. You can't just, and even if, even if, let's say Roman remembered what they told him in Spa. So at the next race, he was like, right, hang on a minute. I'm going to press this button, that button, and turn this dial. It's not going to do the same thing. Because when you press that button and turn that dial, it goes back to the garage to say to the people in the garage, do we approve and do we give oh, him right. this power? And they can stop it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, do, do you believe that is that is still the case? That, that that's 100%. still 100%. Wow. I've, I have zero doubt in my mind that at certain times that they are given different engine modes and at certain times they're not given engine modes. And whether or not... So the, 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 the scenario that we had when we talked about it at the time was Roman at Spa. And he was given that engine mode because they didn't... Mercedes didn't want Sebastian Vettel to get on the podium. 100%. That was why. They weren't particularly interested in Lotus getting on the podium, although it was a good story for them as a Mercedes-powered car. But they didn't want Vettel to overtake. Um, and that was why they did it. And they told us that. They told us that after the race. That was why they did it. That was why they gave us the engine mode. That was why they did it. And I said to you at the time, Roman came in after that, and he said, that car has never driven like that before. Because increased power makes your aero work better. It makes your tires heat up better. It means you can brake a little bit later. It means you can accelerate out of the corner a little bit quicker. 
Is it just me, or did he say arrow exactly like Summers did? <laughs> well, you're not you're not Quebec Canadian born, are you, Mister Carter? So no, no. no. Uh, yeah, I mean that is that is sensational anyway, stuff. Anyway, rant over. We, well, um, no, what what it what it does for me is it puts in context what Ron Dennis was saying about you being handicapped as a as an engine supplier. So I think people were were looking at that and going well it's the same engine and williams is beating you or it's the same engine and you're not doing as well as other teams you're not even the best mercedes customer team however he's looking at all the things that are out of his control that i'm now understanding but there's, but there's a difference between being the best customer team because i genuinely i would i would say that the customer teams are probably given similar what i'm tra- what i'm saying is and what he believed is that you would never be allowed to beat the works team and I and I agree wholeheartedly. Now it's never going to happen in Ferrari. No. Okay. Okay. But now you can say that's because Haas aren't that good, or because Alfa Romeo aren't that good, or whatever. But even if they got close, they would not do it. Now at Ferrari, they would probably just tell them not to overtake. They would just say, "You're not allowed to do that." You know, back off. With Mercedes, again, it's is it ever going to happen? Is there ever going to be a team that's going to be really challenged? I think Williams did it once at Silverstone, didn't they? When the the, the two cars were ahead. Well, we did have a situation where where Ocon in uh, in a Force India in Monaco came out of the pits at a time that was going to interfere with Lewis Hamilton. So they and were he moved out the way. Uh, yeah, no, they 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 were very open. I was surprised how open exactly. they were that they would just said tell Ocon to get out of the way, and I was like, oh, yeah, and they're not even trying to hide it. Really, that's surprising. Well, I've got okay. Anyway, but yeah, so I would have thought they would have done terms, it subtly. In terms of a, in terms of a manufacturer that has its own team, we only have Mercedes, Ferrari, and now we have Renault. Mercedes probably never going to be challenged by one of their customer teams. Ferrari, it's very unlikely. What's happening at Renault with all the money they've put in is that they are being challenged because they're not very good at the moment. So they're being challenged by McLaren and they're being beaten regularly by McLaren and. What I was trying to say before is that I honestly believe that come the end of the season, somehow, some way, McLaren will end up finishing ahead of Renault. And if McLaren do finish ahead of Renault, what, pray tell, becomes of the Renault effort and the people running the Renault effort? Do you foresee um, any immediate repercussions for them? Or is this going to roll on until at least the regulation change? Because it seemed like to me, They've really pegged, we're going to be better than everybody else, to the next set of regulations. Um, yeah, they, they kind of have. I mean, they, they set a path when they, and I saw all the documents that they came up with when they bought Lotus, they set themselves a path of where they believed they were going to be at certain points, and they're behind that. Um, they finished four last year, which they championed and they trumpeted a lot. Um, the fact that Force India got half their points taken away from them and the fact that Haas threw away points left, right and centre didn't seem to come into their radar. They just said, OK, we finished fourth. This year we need to finish fourth, but more confident or more with, with, with more of a gap to fifth. Um, and that was their target that they very publicly set themselves. Well, that's not much of a target for the money that they've put in to aim for fourth place, really. They should be, and the, and the document that they that they put around when they were buying Lotus said that they would be challenging the top three by last season, challenging was, uh, firmly within the top three ballpark this season, and challenging for a world championship next year. And they are miles away from that. Um, in terms of the management and, the, and that element of the question you asked me, 
it's it's difficult because because Renault is partially owned by the French government, um, and therefore there's all sorts of rules and regulations and laws and uh, and 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 people who know people that are in positions because they are who they are and where they are, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's difficult for the management to change, I think, but something has got to change there because at the moment they're not. Um, you know, Ricciardo's not happy with what's going on there. Um, Altenberg's not happy with what's going on there. Um, yeah. And ultimately, the people that are signing the checks can't be happy either because they're not they're not achieving what they need to be achieving. Well, I always say that Renault is everybody's 10th favourite team in Formula One. And looking at the chat room comments, that could well be optimistic. Did you see the Sky Sports thing where, um, I can't remember, was it Natalie Pinkham? Was it Natalie Pinkham or Jenny Gow? One of them, oh, Jenny Gow's BBC, isn't she? Yeah. One of them went to the Renault factory prior to one of the races, the French race, I think. And they did. they gave her a tour around and they interviewed certain people and she walked around. That factory, Enstone, has changed so much in the last three years. It? <laughs> it is crazy. And do we think that by putting a great big glass front on the factory and by extending the cafeteria, the, the cafeteria and by putting a museum in, that they've made the car go faster? Which was my point to Renault when they were looking at it. I said, you don't need to do all that sort of stuff. You know, you need to spend a little bit more money on the aero side because it was it got diminished over my time there. Um, and they need to spend a hell of a lot of money on the engine side. Really. Now, listeners, viewers, people on the live stream, you're going to kill me, but we are running out of time. Loads more to ask Matthew Carter. So much more in my show notes, but it is a good excuse for us to invite him back on soon. And I have to say, you know, it hasn't been you, Mr. Carter, that you've been more than available. However, I've had stupid work commitments which i am freeing myself a little bit of so over the summer we're gonna have a bit more time and the reason we have a bit more time is at least in part down to the great support of our patrons so thank you very much to our patrons you can join us by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex you'll get an in-depth uh in-depth matt that's not the right word for the patron podcast is it it's it's waffle isn't it yes you'll get an inside Yeah, inside. It's worse content, but it is inside. Uh, you'll also, you know, come and join us in the Slack group as well. And you'll be the first to know about any missed Apex events, such as the karting at Buckmore Park on the 21st of September. No way we can strong arm you into coming and joining us, Matthew. When is it? Sorry, 21st of September. Yeah. Quick, tr- get in the private jet. I'll, I'll, I'll grey out a space for you. As Possibly. always, we, we always offer you a chance to plug things, uh, but you never do. So uh, we'll just say, please follow Matt at MattPT55, me at Spanners Ready, and the show at Missed Apex F1. We'll get Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus CEO, back on this show soon to do an Ask Me Anything. Uh, until next time, be brave, because wounds heal and glory lasts forever. Also, chicks dig scars. Bye! What happens with um, comment of the week? Do you do, oh, do, you, you don't do that anymore? Is that, no, uh... we do do that. Matt, have you got comment of the week candidates? So basically, I've been completely shamed that the special guest has had to remind me about comment of the week. So I'm sure Matt's got some candidates. Matt, from the Patreon live stream, do we have any candidates for? Comment of the week. I do. I will leave you with I will narrow it down to two in the interest of time. One is our friend Mark Greenhow at the very beginning 
where we were still having some audio structural difficulties, reliving his Lotus Glory days, quote, that probably should be attached somewhere, referencing his <laughs> oh, mic stand falling over. <laughs> well, and, they never uh, quite got to Caterham duct tape. Uh, <laughs> no. 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 And then the other one is our friend I Hammer regarding Pastor Maldonado. Pastor is the exception to physics. It has to be the first one, yeah. It must be. Reliving his Lotus glory days, quote, that probably should be attached somewhere. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mark. Comment of the week. It's just this huge mental block. At some point, like, my kids are going to come running in at the end of a live stream and go, Dad, comment of the week. But, ah, God's sake. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.